thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sits and civs, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency. And as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 141 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever, and was recorded on Friday, October 14th, and made available for download Tuesday, October 25th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Henry. And I'm Ostron. And folks, it's happened. It is the end of an era. Due to circumstances beyond his control, namely a typhoon hitting near to where he lives, the immortal Jeff was left without power and was unable to join the recording for the first time in Guard Frequency history. We wish him well as he attempts to harness the lightning again. Well, what do we have in store this week, Ostron? Well, this week we're doing something kind of special, throwing caution to the wind, which is not a knock on Jeff's situation. That was horribly insensitive, I'm sorry. But we're doing another call-in show. Citizen Con was last week, so we expect our guests will want to talk about it, but we genuinely have no idea what topics are coming up. For those of you who are unable to call in, fear not, because we're still going to be reading out your feedback, letting everyone in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's open up the phone lines and see what you have to say. All wings reporting. Roger that, Millie Vanilli Chili Willie. The first caller appears to be all ready to go. We're welcoming to Guard Frequency Amontillado, a frequent feedback contributor and longtime listener, if I'm not mistaken. Evening, Amontillado. Hey there, guys. Hello. Unfortunately, you only have myself and our regular audio booth person. Jeff, in a massive tragedy, has broken his perfect attendance record. Although, to be fair, it is not his fault. There's a typhoon going through where he lived that knocked out his power. So um, That's an acceptable excuse. Well, it depends on who you ask. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a typhoon. Come on. Man up. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so Amontillado, first most obvious topic to discuss is the Citizen Con presentation. First things first, what were your initial impressions? I think along with the rest of the world, I was uh, disappointed that Squadron 42 wasn't uh, showcased. But uh, the rest of the stuff, uh, Spectrum, is uh, is particularly interesting to me. And the uh, Procedural Planet MO uh, was fantastic. It really looks a lot better than uh, I expected it to. I was actually rather taken with the Spectrum presentation, despite it being arguably one of the least flashy and most technical aspects so what about it interests you specifically? Part of the, the allure of Star Citizen from the get-go uh, was being able to play with my friends and uh, continue a, another game's organization into Star Citizen, sort of migrate over. And having a game that actually, or having a, a dev team that actually understands the value of supporting organizations or guilds uh, within the game itself rather than making folks rely on sites like uh, well, Engine or uh, can't think of the name right now, but um, those other other websites like that. You know, it really has a, uh, a, a like I said, an allure for me that, uh, that, you know, we can have all those tools in one place. I'm with you there. I, I wanted to say that some people are, 
uh, talking about, you know, reinventing the wheel, putting all this functionality inside the game rather than using external tools when Star Citizen's already kind of behind schedule. So what do you think about that aspect? Do you think it's worth them working on now while they're still working on building the game? Sure. It's a completely different team doing the web-based... Uh, it's Turbulent doing it. They're not doing any development on the game itself. And uh, really, the orgs have already formed. Uh, people are already doing things. And the sooner we can get those tools in our hands, the better. Yep. Awesome. And I think everybody's going to be glad to have it once it comes out. It's going to be nice to have all that in there. Yeah, the yep. integration with their, their existing infrastructure is definitely, I think, a major plus for Star Citizen orgs. And I think it'll, it might give it the edge that'll differentiate it from all of the, like you mentioned, the third-party software or sites that's already out there. So did anything in particular catch your interest in the demo, or was it just the, the whole experience of the procedural generation and the environment that was just an awe factor? I, uh... I like seeing the cloth technology in action. I thought that was pretty cool. Just the actual look of the terrain, the detail that they were able to put into it. Uh, I I recall sitting there thinking, you know, this looks similar to what I would expect in a in a battlefield or a Call of Duty or something like that. Uh, a much smaller map size, but this is an entire planet that looks like that, and that's just astounding. Yeah, I was blown away with the visuals, the way they come in seamlessly from space through that thin atmosphere and then blew past the guy on the mountaintop. Really, really, really looks great. Yep, I can't wait to play that. I was also impressed that they got the they got the thing where you can see the orbiting space station from dirt side if you're looking up in the right direction. And I, I did wonder, though, with the weather, like that sandstorm, I know from one of the dev... I don't know if it was a written response or their video response, but Dual Universe's Kickstarter, they asked the devs on that team about weather on the planets, and they said that that was something they were looking into, but they weren't going to have at launch because making the weather systems visible from space was apparently a technological challenge they weren't sure how to deal with. So since you're here, I'll ask you, do you think that's something that Star Citizen's devs have already solved, are in the process of solving, or do you think they haven't, um, they're not tackling it yet? Um, I, I have not heard anything specifically to being able to view weather in space or not, um, but I don't see why the weather necessarily has to be any different than any other uh, effect or graphic or entity in the game. So as long as it's large enough and you're close enough to see it, why, why should you not be able to see it from space? Yeah, that, that makes logical sense. Any opinion one way or the other on the Polaris? I liked it. I'm not the greatest fan of the RSI style of ships, um, just you know aesthetically, though the constellation has grown on me over the years. But uh, it really, the, the Polaris looks more to me like what I think a Corvette should look like, much more than I expected. I, I expected to, it to look more like the constellation um, in the uh, you know, rectangular form type thing. Uh, and, uh, but this looks pretty good. I, I, I like it. It did have smoother lines than I was expecting, particularly with the, the RSI aesthetic that's been shot through the rest of the ships. I think also that we ought to compare the Polaris to the Idris and the Javelin and the Bengal, and not so much the, uh, the smaller ships. 
in that comparison, um, it seems like a sleek and fast ship like a Corvette should be. The only um, lingering question that I had for the Polaris was the crew size, because I don't have a lot of experience with this, but my experience with space sims that allow players to control something the size of a Corvette sort of has been that the Corvette is your maximum size ship where you're flying around on it and using it for either large-scale hauling or extreme combat situations. And then you're able to dock a fighter so that you can get off of the Corvette, either park it somewhere or leave it in orbit, get in the fighter and do whatever it is that the Corvette would be too impractical for. If you've got, like, the maximum crew size is 24. Obviously, they did say that 24 is not the... It's a maximum, it's not a minimum. But I figure you've got to have at least six to ten people in order to crew every station on the ship. If you've got that many people on the ship, but there's only one fighter that can be docked, I can't figure out what the purpose of that fighter would be, because it wouldn't be enough to serve as an escort for the ship. And if you've got one person grabbing the fighter and taking off, that begs the question, what is the, re what is the rest of the crew going to be doing while the person in the fighter is doing that? Yeah, I wouldn't think that the fighter ought to be the default um, carried ship. I would think more like a Terrapin or or uh, maybe, well, not a Gladiator. But yeah, really, the Terrapin seems to me to be the ideal ship to be storing in there. Okay, I have to admit to some embarrassing ignorance. I forget what the Terrapin's role was. Sorry, uh, the Terrapin is a relatively new ship to Star Citizen, and it is a fairly slow but heavily armored um, and heavily shielded scout ship, basically. Okay, yeah, that was built in the Explorer sphere, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, that that actually would make sense, because if you stick a massive sensor suite on the Corvette and then, you know, find, hey, this might be a jump point, then you hop in a Terrapin to try to map it, that would make practical sense. And the, uh, the Cutlass, the Cutlass Red, for instance, has a uh, search and rescue ship. So a, uh, a search-and-rescue-themed Polaris along with a Cutlass might be uh, pretty good for guard frequency. Yeah, that would certainly fit with the, the mission profile. How about so, the price on the Polaris, though? What do you think of that? I generally ignore the prices on Star Citizen ships. I don't buy them, so it doesn't make any difference. Uh, I'm just uh, excited that they're going to be in the game where I can earn them for free. Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly with you, um, although the, the prices on those capital ships are worryingly high but i don't really have a i don't have a concrete objection other than wow that's a lot of money and i can't buy it so i think it's uh, probably more a, a group would buy that i mean you're going to want a lot of have or have a lot of people to man stations and i'd imagine a fleet would get together an org would get together and buy one as a group from uh, my perspective uh, a lot of the the gaming mechanic of of a game like this is uh, you know, you don't level your character, you don't get that sense of progression from your character, but you do get it from your ships. And you go out and you go on missions, you earn money, you buy the next best ship, um, and you keep on doing that. That's your sense of, of getting somewhere, accomplishment. It strikes me as a little backwards to want to spend money to get less game by getting your rewards all up front. You could also look at it as, uh, you know, different starting points. Not everybody wants to start out. Um, with a tiny little ship just doing mining missions, 
You know, some people want to come in and just be a captain. That's what they're into. And this just gives them options of where they can pick up. Absolutely. Um, I'm saying, you know, personally for me, that's not what I'm looking to do. So it would be, you know, me spending extra money to get less of the game that I want to play. So I've just got a bunch of little starter ships and that's it. Yeah, that's probably what I'm going to do as well. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point, though, Henry, that you could have somebody who wants to start out in like an Idris or a Polaris or maybe even a Javelin. And like their task is, okay, I have this humongous ship. Let's go out, fill up the hangar bays, get a crew that works for me and see how many different things I can make this ship succeed at. That's that's actually a, a gameplay progression I hadn't considered till now. So I think we've dissected Gamescom uh, well enough, so I'm just going to open it up to you, Amontillado. Are there any other thoughts or questions you have coming into this that you want to discuss? What did you think about the mod tools that they showed? I have to be honest, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to that. This was the tools at the end, right? Right. I saw a yeah. lot of that. Really... Uh... Personally, I think it's great that these uh, procedurally generated terrain tools and uh, vegetation tools, they're letting the developers really kind of build immersive environments uh, very quickly. So I think the point of showing us those tools was to give us confidence that great things are coming when they start populating these procedurally generated worlds. We're going to see some really in-depth and uh, distinct environments. I have to say that I I didn't focus on it just because I knew it wasn't something that I would be following or I would be involved in because I'm not I'm not a modder, I'm not a programmer, even though those tools don't seem to require a lot of programming. But one thing it did sort of trigger in my nostalgia area of the brain is, did either of you play Free Space or Free Space 2? Great games, yeah. Yeah, I did not. Okay, well that game, actually both of them, came with a level builder packaged in with it like you didn't even have to download it separately and i spent hours i actually made my own multi-mission campaign with that game and the tools they were using reminded me very much of the tools from that game Uh, so i i believe if they if they were to release that once the game debuts and gave it to people who like were maybe running their own servers that would be a major draw for a a whole separate set of uh, players. Well, they have uh, modding tools as one of the stretch goals, I believe. So we should be getting them. And they've also have already sold a a book on how to use the modding tools that they haven't built yet. So I fully expect that we'll get tools similar to that, I hope, uh, in in our hands. Yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised if that one, uh, that particular tool actually made its way out into the wild. What I would really like to see are those type of tools and whatnot allowing us to create our own SimPod programs. I think that would be fantastic. That would be a, that would be a great thing. All right, so did you have uh, any other questions or topics you wanted to cover? Is there something in particular about Star Citizen that excites you? Well, for me, most of my excitement comes from the breadth of evolved options that players are going to have for existing in the universe uh, like mining and trading and exploration and all of that they aren't just add-ons they aren't just you know you can grind these particular ways in order to make money before you go back into combat or follow a main plot mission like there are actually going to be 
um, whole infrastructures around mining and whole infrastructures around trading and whole infrastructures around exploring and selling information and doing all of that. That really interested me because I'm not a particularly good pilot. I'm a half-decent gunner, but I uh, like if I hopped into Arena Commander, I would die more often than not. And I just don't have the time in my own life to ratchet my piloting skills up enough in order to sort of overcome that gap. But with those other things, they're still going to be skill-based, but there's a little bit less of a high-pressure learning curve to them. Theoretically, when you're mining, you're not going to be, like, outracing the rock before it eats you in order to extract the minerals. So if the mining takes a certain amount of skill to develop and get good at, I feel like there'll be more time to do that as opposed to trying to go out and be a bounty hunter from the beginning with trial and error being extremely punishing. Henry, do you have a particular aspect of the game that's attracting your interest? Oh yeah, just the immersion. I mean, I'm I'm an avid elite player and I spend hours and hours just floating around in space. I'm looking forward to when I get to a planet having something to do. The things that uh, they showed in that demo, coming down, exploring, you know, actually interacting with people on the planet. I think the immersion is really going to be something. I'm looking forward to that. All right. So I think at this point, we're going to let you go. Thank you very much for calling in, such as it is, and uh, great impressions on Gamescom. Thank you again for listening and for giving us your feedback on a regular basis. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks again. Okay, buddy. What's on your mind? We're all friendly! So let's just be friendly! All right. So uh, we don't have another caller lined up, but we're going to go over some of the feedback we received on last week's community question, which, for those that don't remember, is a fully destructible universe with freeform construction the key to endlessly emerging gameplay and player engagement, or does it impose unacceptable limits on fidelity and immersion? Does such a system have benefits or drawbacks that we didn't cover? Sean Newboy writes, Love the show, everyone. As for the destructible universe, you should have some areas that are sacrosanct, like early starting points. Still make them destructible, but have them heavily defended by NPC bots. And then H. Allen submitted feedback to the question of the first part. Yes, definitely. Uh, I'm still playing with the Legos I got as a child with all my children. To the second part, no. These blocks are the substance of the activity. We don't look at the physical, but rather to our imagination to add the desired amount of detail inside it out. Finally, to the last part, a benefit of unbridled creativity to build exploratory aliens flying a wiener spaceship to the planet Uranus. Winky emoticon. And he says, actually, I think that's been done a lot already. Um, I mean, so, I think he's got a point about, uh, you know, that's the substance of the activity. So if that's what that game's all about, that's what that game's all about. It might not be for everybody. Yeah, um, I definitely think that particular aspect, as we discussed in the initial debate, is going to define a more niche gameplay that will definitely attract certain people but may not be uh, everyone's cup of tea. The more the merrier, though. I mean, there's room for all of it, I think, There's uh, as long as there's an audience out there and people like it. Yep, definitely. Moving on to general feedback. User Ellipse writes, Hey guys, long time listening to the show here. I just want to say great job and keep the hot debates constructive criticism going. As for why I messaged you during Bar Citizen, 
I happened to meet and talk to a bunch of cool people from CIG. The two biggies were the two beards themselves, Brian Chambers and Disco Lando. I wanted to compliment Brian Chambers and his team because the Polaris was just way too sexy for me to pass up, even though I told myself I would not get the Corvette, seeing as how you have the Idris. I think he means how he has the Idris. However, having said that, I wanted to clarify on the point that a regular made as to the cockpit and its vulnerability, he stated that there has been discussion in-house now that people seem to think the bridge will be a target on a head-on attack via torpedo run. To at least chill some people out worried they won't survive flying the Polaris through an asteroid field or a fighter swarm. As for Lando, I tried to plant some ideas for my favorite ship, the Genesis Starliner. I talked to him because when he asked the crowd what their favorite ships are, people kept repeating the Super Hornet, Idris, the Carrick. I told him, however, that the Genesis Starliner was my favorite ship because it seemingly had no use besides those you make for it. I stated that it was my favorite ship because the multiple massive power plants, the Starliner has six, yes, six size seven power plants, and something as massive as the Orion only has one size six power plant, the whole ship and smelter. That's some serious power. I mentioned one of my plans to somehow convert all that power to a sort of EMP pulse that would make it an anti-capital warlock so to speak, seeing as how the two variants, the Star Seeker, the Star Hunter, have yet to be shown. To this he replied that it sounds like an interesting idea that the longer a ship is in development, the better as they have time to play with the concept and refine the idea. My job here is done, Genesis fanboys. Alright, and then Ken from Chicago said, Nice. Robert Space Industry is sharing the love to show beyond the usual suspects, but breadth of folk working on CitizenCon. I don't know if Jeff will recover by next Friday's recording, FYI. Okay, I'm calling it Star Citizen Alpha 4.0, if not the minimum viable product, will at least be worthy of upgrading to beta. So I believe those were uh, live comments from the stream or his initial thoughts. Regarding Gamescom, there was one point that sort of disappointed me. I was a little disappointed in the procedural demo just because it had so much stuff that they had already indicated we're not going to be seeing for a while. Um, like, the planet they indicated was not in the Stanton system. Uh, it's in one of the other systems, which means we wouldn't even get to go there until uh, they have the part of the game up that allows multi-system travel. And the environments and so forth were exhibiting some technology that they said they hadn't completely fleshed out yet. So I would have preferred to see a demonstration of some technology that was closer on the horizon that we might be seeing, like, possibly before the end of the year. But despite that, I did think it was a very impressive demo. And, of course, the, the sandworm was a cute little bit of, uh, I don't know if you call it fan service, but it was definitely one of those things that would make certain people in the know raise their eyebrows and smirk. I think a lot of that uh, that demo was fan service. I mean, the wreckage of the ship, and I forget the class ship, but the, the wreckage of that ship was... That was that was a javelin. That javelin was definitely a call out to the Force Awakens scenes, the opening scenes with that. Yeah, and the, uh, the nomads they had walking around definitely resembled either uh, Tusken Raiders from Star Wars or possibly the uh, I think I think they were called Freeman and Dune the, anyway the desert planet natives yeah it was Dune. it was 
I, I definitely thought they were the Tuscan Raiders. I thought, wow, that's that's pretty cool. They actually surprised me, which it may be that I just haven't been following Star Citizen's development well enough, but I didn't expect to see hostile NPCs on the planet just sort of hanging out. I know that we there are you know hostile NPC pirates in Stanton right now, but I didn't think they would have developed a separate, unique instance of NPCs for the demo. Um, so that was... That, that was surprising, for my part anyway. I'll tell you, one of my favorite parts of that demo was that was it the Dragonfly hoverbike. Uh, that thing was fantastic. Yeah, it was, seeing that in action was, was pretty cool. And it was, it was great when the sandworm just popped up and ate one. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. The storm was really something. I mean, obviously a lot of that was a scripted event. I wonder how much of that will just be uh, emergent when you play. I'm hoping they get the weather down. If not at launch, then at least very shortly thereafter. Because I remember, if you have an active weather system that is is a real weather system in the game, it can seriously modify the gameplay in a positive way. Because I know that the only game I've played where the weather had that much of an effect is Minecraft. And their weather system was pretty simple. But still, in Minecraft... If a rainstorm moves in, your whole attitude toward playing the game changes because the rainstorm makes it dark enough for monsters to spawn in that world. So it has a direct effect on your gameplay. And it looked like the same thing was true with, with Star Citizen. When that sandstorm rolled in, he dove into cover and it had it damaged the structure which I don't know if that's going to be something that stays, or like you said, if that was just scripted for that particular event, because it seems kind of obvious that the purpose of destroying that walkway was to funnel the player toward the sandworm. But even still, um, I wonder if he hadn't taken cover in the javelin wreck, is that something where like, he would have been blown away? Would he have started taking damage? Even if either of those were factors, that would be enough to make the weather a real living part of the universe that you have to consider as a player. Yeah, that's true. And anything they do on planets that adds some kind of gameplay is going to definitely be good for the game. It's definitely what I see lacking in other space sims. It'd be really cool if they had space weather, too, on a limited scale, like solar flares or ion storms or something like that. Or even something like the jets that they have on neutron stars in Elite now. Yeah, that would be cool as well. Even just as an obstacle, something else to do is always good. You run out of things to do in Space Sim sometimes. You end up in these large, immersive, empty environments. And I, I like spending time there. But, you know, you definitely get to the point where you're like, hmm, I've landed on the same ice ball 80 times. Right, which that's sort of the problem that, um, well, one of the problems that sank No Man's Sky is because you'd land and it'd be like, oh, so this planet looks like those three other planets, except it's a slightly different shade of puce. It looks like the phone lines have gone quiet and the feedback is all set, so we're going to wrap up the show now. So how was the show? Was it off the hook? Or would we have been better off calling it in? Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak. Or leave a comment and like us at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. Or, if you're old school like us, shoot us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. 
you can also respond to this week's community question. Gamescom, did we miss anything? What excited you? What confused you? What made you angry? How awesome was Kinshadow's costume? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 141 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 142 on October 25th, where we're hoping to have Kinshadow on hand to give his first-hand report of the Gamescom show, along with our return to regularly scheduled format. So be sure to keep an eye out for our shows on our website, guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. If you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 10 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 11.30 a.m. if you live in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artist Ben Sanders and Simon Trolton Edwards, our staff writer Jace Pentad, and of course our audio engineer Mikey. A big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkies for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkies.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. So, if every let me bring him in. Insufficient permissions. Uh oh. That doesn't sound very good. No. Insufficient permissions. Um. Shauna boy. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. It's Sean Newboy. He's Sean Newboy. (laughs) Sorry about that. Sean Newboy loved the show. Everyone. As for the destructible universe, you should have some areas that are sacrosanct, like early starting points, still make them destructible, but have them heavily depended by NPC bots. Wow, I stumbled all over that one. I'm going to try that one more time. Insufficient permissions.